0: Welcome. You're listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California. Visit us on the web at vedanta.org. Om mā Sadgamaya Tamaso Majyotir Gamaya Mrityurma Amritam Gamaya Om Shanti 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 Om, lead us from the unreal to the real, lead us from darkness unto light, lead us from death to immortality. Om, peace, peace, peace. Good morning. Good morning. And we have a very cheerful subject this morning for us, for ourselves, <laughs> in search of bliss. Indeed, this is what life is all about. All of us, from our very childhood till today, we have been looking for happiness. Behind all our striving is uh, an effort to overcome suffering and an effort to get satisfaction, happiness, joy, bliss, whatever. From the worm that crawls in the garden out there, to the bird that flies in the air, to the fish swimming in the oceans and the people rushing on the freeways. Or not rushing, depending on the traffic. Craw- <laughs> they too may be crawling in the free- freeway. They're all searching for happiness. You ask them, they won't say that. that, it's, that that's not the, the agenda they'll set for themselves. They'll tell you, we're just going to get to office on time or to our vacation spot on time or whatever. That's what we're trying to do, but even that is instrumental. The goal is happiness. Everybody wants satisfaction, joy, happiness, bliss. Indeed, people come to religion in search of happiness. A better happiness, a deeper happiness, a more lasting happiness. We have all gathered here today. Deep in our hearts is this ultimate objective that maybe today I'll get Something which will tell me how I can find a better, deeper, and more lasting happiness. How I can find bliss in my life. That's what has brought us all together here. So that is the subject we have set for ourselves today and there can be no better subject. That's what life is all about. And uh, the text that I have chosen to use as a basis for today's talk is from one of the most ancient religious documents available to humanity. The taitiriya Upanishad, you can date it back to 40 or 50 centuries. It's of course in ancient Sanskrit. And in the second chapter of this Upanishad, the eighth section, section eight, is called an analysis, uh, a study of bliss. Ananda Mimamsa. Ananda means bliss. Ananda Mimamsa. Mimamsa means... Um, thinking about, resolving or, um, you know, analyzing bliss. So that's what I'm going to use as a text. And the strategy adopted here is very interesting. They start off by dismissing our usual idea of happiness. The childish idea of happiness is that happiness is there in the candy bar or happiness is there on the beach out there or happiness is there in something external to us. But of course that's not true, because happiness, though external things and persons and activities may help us in making us happy, but we all know it takes just a moment's reflection to know happiness is not in the candy bar, happiness is in me. Maybe I get it when I eat the candy bar, but happiness is in me, it's not in that thing out there on the person out there or in that activity out there. It's a simple step to take and most of us, we understand it. We do understand. After all, happiness is internal. It's the person who is happy, not the candy bar who's happy. I mean, the candy bar is most unhappy. You, you eat it up, after all. <laughs> but, uh, but even understanding that does not help us much. The old Indian tale, it's a pretty gruesome tale, but it needs to be told. Uh, the tale is, it goes like this. It's, it's, um, there's this dog who has a bone, and it's his favorite little bone, and he chews on it. It makes him happy because it gives a delicious taste. Little does he know that when he chews on that sharp little bone which is dry and which is absolutely tasteless, it cuts his lip and a little little of his own blood trickles out and that's what he tastes and he thinks this bone is really tasty and then he buries that bone and keeps it carefully and once in a while comes and chews on it. Little knowing that the taste he gets, the joy he gets is from himself from his own self. And this is a very instructive little tale. It tells us all the happiness that we taste, all the happiness that we get in the world, is within us. It has to be. The world serves as that little bone. And like the foolish little dog, what we do is we keep the bone carefully because we think it comes from that. Happiness comes from that. And nothing can really shake us from our conviction. At the most, we can go from one thing to another. From iPhone 5 to iPhone 6 to iPhone 7. But we are convinced that iPhone will bring us bliss. (laughs) That's our little bone. And it gives us joy within. Now, the Upanishad says, that maybe even if I accept it, the Upanishad says joy comes from within, and it's manifested in our minds, and that's what we call happiness. But here the problem still remains, the little dog can argue, if it could argue, it would argue, all right, I get it, it's my own blood that I'm tasting, and uh, happiness is not in that bone, it's in me, but I still need to chew the bone because the blood will come out that way and that's how I taste it. <laughs> and it's a, it's, it's a kind of a logic, a, a dog logic no doubt, but, but it applies to us, we'll still say fine, We have made a psychological point. You have made a philosophical point. But still, I want to be happy. And all those things, though they reveal my own inner happiness, they bring out my own inner happiness. But the iPhone 6 or 7 still is necessary because it brings out my own inner happiness. So I still need the world for my happiness. I'm still where we started. So that's one person. That's one approach to happiness. We need the world. Things of the world, people of the world, activities in the world, relationships and things like that to make us happy. Though it may be our own inner, inner state. That's one approach. Then comes a somewhat wiser person who thinks, wait a minute, wait a minute. Happiness is there inside. My desire covers it up, occludes it, hides it. And satisfying the desire releases the I- inner happiness. Now suppose I don't have that desire in the first place. If my mind is not clouded, if I'm relaxed and open to the inner happiness, wouldn't I be happy without going through all the trouble of the little, the, the bone of the iPhone 6? The external world, do I really need it for my happiness? This is the second approach to happiness which will be taken up. First af- approach we may call The search for happiness in the world or worldly happiness. And the second happiness we may call, not otherworldly, we'll see why. We'll call it spiritual happiness. The seeking of happiness in the spirit or within ourselves. So these are the two tracks which the Upanishad compares. And it will abandon both of them for something finally, a third conception of happiness. Happiness itself, bliss itself, which it calls Brahman, roughly we can translate it as God, Spirit, Ourself, whatever. Three conceptions of happiness, all of them worth considering, all of them which have been pursued by the wisest and the best in humanity from the ages, all our philosophies, our psychology, our economics, it's all within these three conceptions. A search for happiness, satisfaction in the world. Worldly happiness, with the things of the world, track one or theory one. The first theory of bliss. The second theory of bliss is a spiritual search for happiness. Not by things of the world, but from within. And third, a little difficult to grasp now, it'll be easier as we go on, is that happiness itself, our real self is happiness itself. When we realize who we really are, then we reach real bliss. Let's we just keep it aside for the time being. We'll come to it at the end. That's called, let's call it the third theory of bliss or bliss itself. Worldly bliss or worldly happiness, spiritual happiness and bliss itself. These are the three things we have set out to study today. And the Upanishad starts very nicely. Let me chant the original. It's nice to hear the sound of a language spoken or in which it was first composed 40 centuries ago. Echoing today in Santa Barbara. <laughs> this is from the Titiri Upanishad. Saisha Ananda Syami Magum Sabhavati. Now we start an a study of Ananda. Bliss. Let us study bliss. First, you sadhu Yuva If we have to study, if we have to measure happiness, more happiness and less happiness, we need a unit. You want to measure distance, you need miles or kilometers. You want to measure weight, you need uh, kg or pound or whatever. Similarly, if you want to measure happiness... In economics, they do it nowadays with the help of the concept of utility. If you want to measure happiness, we need a unit of happiness. And the Upanishad says, let's think of, no harm in daydreaming. Let's dream of the happiest possible person. All the conditions that's necessary to be happy in human life. Theory one, how can the world make us happy? What's the best thing possible? And when I will read it out, I'm sure there'll be smiles on your faces. It happens to every audience because just thinking about it makes you happy. So first, he says, the first one is a bit of a shocker. He says, the first condition is you have to be young. <laughs> 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 and in many audiences, I immediately get boos from from the uh, 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 older people. Well, we must admit it. Even if we, uh, I'm not all that young anymore, but still I must admit, things are better when you are physically Uh, younger. When you are um, in your 20s or late teens or early 20s, you're strong and your body doesn't bother you and your mind is full of um, hopes and aspirations, usually. So he says, youth "Youth is a condition. And that's also true because even as we get older, there's a huge industry which is trying to keep us younger. (laughs) So Yuva Syat should be the highest ideal of human happiness. Ideal of human happiness includes youth as a precondition. And not only any youth, Sadhu syat must be a good person, must be um, noble, kind-hearted, controlled, disciplined, a good person in charge of himself or herself, her own life, what we would call a person who's got it together and a nice person. You are sadhusya, the good person, moral person, unselfish person. Usually, um, the other kind of person is an unhappy person. Though they may think that through addiction or through um, unruly behavior or partying all night and all day, I'll be happy, they usually are not happy. They find out very soon that chasing pleasure single mindedly makes you realize very soon that nothing is pleasing. If you chase, Pleasure single-mindedly, very soon you realize nothing is pleasing anymore. That's Somerset mom. So, good person. And what else? Adhyayaka. A scholar. Learned. Maybe a graduate from uh, some of the best university here or something like that. Ivy League guy or girl. So, highly educated. And also, without the student debt. Yeah. <laughs> mom, and dad, mom and dad have paid for you. Mom and dad have paid for you. You are, you are not paying. Now, that makes you happy. What else? <laughs> Extremely physically strong and vigorous and energetic. There are a lot of things to enjoy in the world, but the body gets tired and the mind gets tired and senses get tired. Some people can enjoy life vigorously. I mean, you would say they can party all night with <laughs> and keep going. So, a very vigorous person and strong person you need this for worldly enjoyment sense enjoyment in the world and one more thing sarva purnasya he has to be the not only wealthy he has to be the he or she has to be the richest person in the world earlier and uh, we just said say it has to be bill gates or something like that but that's so 90s so today you would say <laughs> elon musk or I hadn't heard about him. When I came to United States somebody asked me, have you, you haven't heard of Elon Musk? I said no. Then uh, I was updated. So a billionaire and extremely, uh, you know the Tesla car and the SpaceX and many other things. So because there is such a thing as waiting too too long to earn your first million or your first billion. (laughs) There is a saying. uh, that uh, what a tragedy it is that we lose our health to earn wealth and then we spend all our wealth to regain our health. (laughs) This person doesn't do that, he's rich from the very beginning, born to wealth, tremendous amount of wealth, so wealthy and strong and vigorous and highly educated and with all noble intentions and young. (laughs) And the Upanishad says they had it right 40 centuries ago. (laughs) Our ideal has not changed one bit today. All the happy persons you see on advertisements, whether they are uh, eating a Big Mac or they are uh, with the you know, latest vacation or the car or the, or the iPhone, they're all happy and they, are, they, they fit this category. They fit this category. So, and the Upanishad says, we think this is the highest possible human happiness. says this is the one unit. It's one unit of happiness. Now we are going to start from here, because they had another idea in those more believing times, more simple times, more religious times, they had the idea of heaven. And being Hindus, they let their imagination run riot, so not one heaven, there were layers and layers of heaven, different kinds of heaven, which you could attain by being a very good boy or girl by living in this life, nice person and performing lots of good activities, being unselfish, and doing a lot of religious rites. In the Vedas, there's a big section called Karma religious rituals. If you go to a Hindu temple today, you will see something called a puja, a deity and flowers being offered and mantras being chanted. That's the modern form of Hinduism. The ancient Vedic form of Hinduism with which these people were familiar was the fire sacrifice. They would have altars and they would for- pour offerings into the fire. The idea that the fire takes these offerings up to the gods and their wishes are granted. And they were elaborate fire sacrifices. So you perform this and you get merit and you be a good person, a moral person, do good to others. The accumulated merit takes you to heaven. And there are different grades of heaven. Like, you know, three-star hotels and five-star hotels and seven-star <laughs> hotels. And different kinds of vacations. Uh, So, like that, you can go and you get more pleasure there. The uh, uh, idea is that um, to enjoy something, we need three things. One, the Sanskrit words are um, Sharira Vishaya Lokaha. Sharira means you need the physical instrument to enjoy. There are such enjoyments of the gods, small g, not capital G. There are such enjoyments of the gods which this which would burn out our our body and sensory system within seconds if you try to enjoy that, so you need a superior body, not this body, and you need superior things to enjoy, not just the food and drink and enjoyment we have here, not not even an iPhone seven, something much more an iphone seven hundred or something i don 't know what they have in heaven, so a superior object of enjoyment, body to enjoy an object of enjoyment and a superior environment you see you can try to meditate on the side of the freeway and you can try to meditate in the temple the difference is there it's almost impossible here it's almost natural the difference is the environment so a higher superior enjoyment requires a better environment so the heavens provide those better environments better bodies better objects of enjoyment and better environments what more could you ask for so the Upanishad goes on. There is a, only one catch. You get it after you die. <laughs> it's posthumous, not, not in this life. <laughs> in this life, you have to go through that whole process and then you get it. So the Upanishad goes. <laughs> a hundred times of this, Human happiness, which we set out before ourselves right now One hundred times, not twice, or ten times One hundred times of this human happiness is promised In the first of the heavens, which is called Manushya Gandharva Gandharva is a word in Hindu mythology They are um, beings like us, but not human Um, Like nymphs, celestial musicians They're musicians, basically. They are heavenly rock stars. So the ideal of enjoyment here is a rock star. And imagine a heavenly rock star. So something like that. And you become one of those in heaven. And that's just the first heaven. And that's 100 times of the happiness of this guy who who has got everything the world can offer. Before you go, wow, that's the thing I want to do. This is track one theory one of happiness this is worldly happiness that's why i didn't want to say worldly ver- versus otherworldly because the other world is also included here heaven this world and heaven that's just like this world only much better so it's a very worldly idea actually so we can call it this worldly happiness otherworldly happiness all of it is worldly happiness and you know in most religious approaches that's all they promise Be a good boy, a good girl here and follow what is said. Uh, Follow the rules, stick to the rules and you'll be rewarded and it'll be a very nice time. You'll have a nice time in heaven. It's still very worldly. It's still very material. Swami Vivekananda, when he came to this country more than a 100 years ago, imagine the chaos he caused. When he said, I have not come here to teach you how to go to heaven. I have come here to teach you how to stop going to heaven. (laughs) He said I emptied entire halls (laughs) People people walked out in indignation (laughs) That is not spirituality That's part of religion That's a kind of conventional religion We find it everywhere In Hinduism, even in Buddhism, Christianity, Islam Everywhere you find A better version of this world is promised as heaven If you follow what is said here Let's come to the second theory which is waiting in the wings, spiritual happiness, seeking happiness in spirituality. Here's this other guy who thinks, wait a minute, instead of going through all that trouble, if it is after all my own happiness, happiness within myself, Vedanta tells me, I am existence consciousness bliss. It is my own bliss nature which is manifesting as happiness. Yes, I use the, I have a desire, that occludes, covers up, obscures my inner happiness. And I set up this desire, the tension increases, I satisfy the desire by getting something in the world which I want, the tension is released and I find happiness. It's the happiness coming from within, like the blood of the dog leaking out from its cut lip. In fact, modern psychology says that's all that desire is. I was reading, the whole of our modern society has, de- has been designed now To generate psychic tensions within us. I want this. I want that. Intensify that desire. And then satisfy it. And you are happy. And you are truly happy. Because at least for a while. Few seconds. Few minutes. And then what happens. The seeking starts all over again. They said. In ancient India they used to say. "You, You cannot be happy by satisfying desires. For it's like pouring. You remember their religious rituals, fire sacrifice, this to pour butter into fire to make it blaze forth, clarified butter, ghee they call it. If you pour more of it, it's adding fuel to the fire. The fire blazes even more. If you keep satisfying desires, all that happens is you get addicted to satisfying desires and it does not remain at that level. It's not that, okay, I have a desire, let's satisfy and get it over with. If only that were true. You cannot get it over with. It's one thing after another thing after another thing. Always with the promise, below the wisp, you will be happy at the end of the road. Nobody ever has been happy at the end of the road. Till today. Not the person, who was certainly not the person who was frustrated, did not get what he wanted. And not even the person who got what he wanted. Nobody has been. Now this person thinks, if that is the truth, If real happiness lies within God, Atman, Nirvana, whatever, enlightenment, if that is really true, what the Vedanta, what the scriptures of the world are telling me, let me pursue that. Let me turn away from this mad pursuit in the external world, which has not satisfied anybody till today. Let me pursue that. Giving up, central idea, giving up this project of trying to be happy in the world outside. Not giving up the project of being happy giving up the project of being happy with the world outside, with things of the world, begging for happiness from the world, giving up that project, this person turns inward into a spiritual search. Giving up, that's the first thing. On what basis? Not out of frustration, not out of depression, out of a conviction, a spiritual conviction. That what Vedanta tells me, what the spiritual traditions of the world, wisdom traditions of the world tell me, All of those books in the bookshop, all of them put together, they're telling you one thing. Peace, happiness, joy is to be found within you. Peace, happiness, joy, bliss is to be found in the spiritual path. Not not the worldly path and the spiritual path. It is not found in the worldly path. It is found in the spiritual path. These are not two things to be combined. That project is given up. You're still in the world, but now you are striving spiritually to get happiness within And it is true, each of the yogas, the spiritual practices we speak about in Vedanta, each of the yogas gives tremendous amount of happiness and peace. Consider karma yoga, the path of selfless action. When we seek enlightenment, not by acting for ourselves, but in service, in love for others. Professor Seligman, you know there is a whole branch of psychology which studies happiness very seriously. Not the self-help books which you find in the bookshelves, uh, you know, entire uh, racks of self-help books, big uh, sellers. But serious academic study, last 20 years, they call it positive psychology. And happiness is one of the central things that they are studying. Professor Seligman, uh, Martin Seligman, he is one of the uh, well-known writers, authentic happiness and so on. Many other books he has written. But basic idea, let me give one idea he has uh, put forward. Happiness, he says, has three components. One is pleasure, what we just called worldly happiness, seeking happiness in the world outside. And that's true. It does give some happiness. The second one he calls engagement. You get uh, happiness from absorption in a career or a hobby. Not just passive pleasure, eating or watching TV or playing video games. But actual career, you're doing something, writing, building a company or we have a hobby and active engagement. So happiness comes from engagement. And he says happiness comes from what he calls M, meaning in life. A meaningful, purposeful life. It could be going out and serving the poor and the homeless, it could be um, a a search for God, it could be um, art or science, or something that gives meaning to life. If you have it, you are very lucky. To the extent that we have meaning and purpose in life, we are happy. Now the point he makes is pleasure, engagement, meaning. In fact he says if you are not happy, just look at these three indicators. Um, you will get happiness from each of them. But the point he makes is, they are not equal. Pleasure gives very little happiness and that's transitory and fleeting. Engagement gives more happiness. If you're happy at what you do, it's much more satisfying than watching TV and being a couch potato or something. And meaning in life gives much, much more happiness. The greatest amount of happiness comes from meaning in life. And he says the central component of meaning in life is an involvement with others, is doing some, something unselfishly, going out of the bounds of the little self, which is the essence of Karma Yoga. The greatest amount of happiness, according to Professor Seligman, the leading authority on positive psychology today, is that you get happiness from altruistic action, action done for others. He had this very interesting... um experiment which he did with the students in his class. He said to them one week, uh, one week in the class, today there is no class and we are going to go out and catch this latest blockbuster, Hollywood blockbuster movie, we'll all go to the movies together. And of course the students were delighted, I like this class and this professor. <laughs> and they all went out. When they came back from the movie, he gave them a questionnaire, um, fill it out, rate your feelings, your satisfaction with the experience you just had, this beautiful movie, from one to five. Five, perfectly happy. And one not happy at all. And so they filled it out. Most of them said three or four, maybe five. Next week, he said, today we won't have a class again. And he said, okay, movies. And no, not movies. We are going to go out to that part of the town where we, have, uh, we are talking to children from uh, poorer families. We're getting them together. We're going to make friends with them. And we've got gifts for them. We've collected all that. And we'll spend the afternoon with them. So the students went out there. And they made friends with the little children and played with them, gave them gifts, toys and came back, rate your happiness, 1 to 5. And many of them rated it, 3, 4, 5, whatever. The real thing came six months later. Suddenly in the class, Professor Seligman handed out questionnaires and said, Look back upon that experience six months ago. Remember the movie we went to? How much happiness do you feel from that experience now? Most of them said, One or two, some of them said, we can't remember the name of the movie, I think we had a good time. (laughs) And remember that afternoon you spent with the kids, helping them, giving them toys and stuff like that. And rate the happy, think about it, how happy does it make you now rate it? And all of them wrote the same happiness, you know, four or five. Showing thereby, if you do something for others, it creates a lasting happiness, a kind of unmixed happiness. Not only that, all the things that we have done for our, ourselves, we often, uh, the happiness diminishes, and we, often, we sometimes regret it too. We think it's a waste of time, I shouldn't have done that, could have done something more useful. But all the things, just think back upon it, all the things that you have ever done for others, maybe giving $10 in charity to whatever, all the things that you have ever done for others, there's one thing very clear, you never ever regret it. You never ever regret having given time or money or uh, some kind of activity for others. So altruistic action, karma yoga, clearly gives better happiness, deeper happiness and lasting happiness, bliss. Compared to acting for oneself. Just for myself, me and mine, bhakti yoga. Bhakti yoga, bhakti is love of God. Spiritual practice, bhakti yoga. Love of the world is of the form, I want this or that. This thing, this person, this relationship, this activity, this, this situation, and then I'll be happy. That's love of, the, of, of uh, things in the world. That's a worldly love. And love of God is, I collect all this worldly love and replace that I want, move the world out of the, the place and put God in there. I love God in whatever form you believe it could be jesus or krishna or whatever now when all our love is concentrated on god the happiness that comes from within ourselves is unmixed deeper or more lasting it is bliss you see love automatically makes a person happy even worldly love makes a person happy but the worldly love is mixed it depends on worldly conditions you cannot even control ourselves. How can you control another person or another situation? You're opening yourself, making yourself vulnerable to a hundred different dangers when you want only a, a physical thing. This does not mean you will not love the persons in the world or the world. You will love all of them for the love of God. You see God in all of them and you love your God, your beloved God in all the persons, in your family, in your community, everywhere. That love, wherever you light love, the light of love, their happiness is. In fact, one of the immediate, immediate ways of becoming happy, deeply happy and lastingly happy is to be in love. And C.S. Lewis, has a very beautiful book called Mere Christianity. And there he defines, he says the best way of defining religion is uh, what I can think of is the human idea of falling in love. He says falling in love is religion, is true religion, spirituality. So you fall in love with God instead of things of the world. That's bhakti yoga. Raja yoga. The path of meditation. Thinking a thousand things throughout the day, uncontrolled. Mind is scattered in the world. Unhappiness. Surefire recipe for unhappiness. Collect the mind, concentrate it. On the atman or, or on whatever you, your practice is, on the breath, if you want, or on God, in whatever practice you, collected mind, focused mind, surefire recipe for peace and happiness. It has been uh, again in positive psychology. There's this book, Flow, Mihai Chiksen Mihai. Any act of concentration, when you write with concentration, when you paint with deep concentration, when you are a sur- surgeon. Performing an operation for six, seven, eight hours, and after that, you think it's exhausting. That person comes out with it's exhausting but deeply satisfying. And Mihai Chigzen Mihai in the book Flow he says all of them have one thing in common deep concentration and focus. Focus which you hold on to for minutes, hours together. That very act of focusing is very joyful. And when the focus is a spiritual focus, Deep concentration, alert and focused, it gives rise to great peace and joy. Scattered, exhausting and unsatisfying, unhappiness. So meditation, the path of meditation gives much more happiness. And finally, the path of knowledge, which this is a path of, uh, with this Upanishad speaks about realizing who we really are. And so the Upanishad now says, here comes this second guy who says, why should I seek my own happiness by getting things in the world. Why not seek it within? Through altruistic, living a life of altruistic action, love of God and meditation and knowledge, spiritual knowledge. So the Upanishad says, Shrotri asya A person who is convinced about spiritual life. Important. Akamahata, who has given up the desires for the things of the world. These two conditions, convinced about the truth of the spiritual path. This must be there. It must not be half-hearted. Maybe it's true, let me try it out. And it's not working. I think Big Mac is a better recipe for happiness. You go back there. That will not work. It has to be a deep, lifelong conviction. slowly building up this conviction. Yes, it's true. What all the spiritual traditions of the world, all the spiritual masters of the world are telling me, is that what you are seeking in the world outside... Is right now, right here within you This conviction must be there Shrotriya con- It literally means well versed in Vedanta Shrotriya means Literally means well versed in Vedanta Akamahata Literally means Not destroyed by desire Hata means killed or destroyed Akamahata Not destroyed by desire Which means we don't have these vain desires One of the most beautiful books Imitation of Christ starts with this quotation from the bible vanity of vanities all is vanity except love of the lord so not destroyed by desires free to pursue spirituality and the Upanishad compares worldly happiness and spiritual happiness and he says that the worldly happiness which the person gets in this life the maximum worldly happiness in the lowest of heavens you get hundred times that And the person who pursues the spiritual path, not the worldly happiness path, the person who pursues the spiritual path, gets that hundred times of the maximum worldly happiness in this life right now. Not the maximum worldly happiness, hundred times of that, what you can only be attained in heaven, in the lowest of the heavens. That you get right now by being in the spiritual path. So path number two, theory number two, says that you can get 100 times of that. That person who's engaged in the world, trying to get happiness, beg happiness from the world, you get 100 times of that just by being on the spiritual path. Now, one must be careful here. Two points I'll make quickly. The person on the worldly path, who's trying to be happy in the world through worldly activities and acquisitions and so on, if that if that person pursues even a little bit of spirituality, a little bit of altruistic action, a little bit of worship of God, a little bit of meditation or spiritual, scriptural study, it's all to the good. That person will benefit. That, that The worldly person brings spirituality into his or her life. To that extent, that person will benefit. If he even combines worldly activities with spirituality, he'll benefit. It's only good. But the person who's walking on the spiritual path, if this person still harbors worldly desires... It's poison for this person. Person on the path number two, spiritual path. If this person tries to combine the worldly path with this, I want to realize God and be a multimillionaire, you're in for unhappiness. You're signing up for unhappiness. I want to realize God. Because all that you want to by being a multimillionaire or whatever, you'll get that, as the Upanishad says, a hundred times more than that in this path. So those who walk, seriously on the spiritual path should not mix it with. should not harbor secret desires. In fact, all the unfortunate cases we see in the media, scandals regarding people of religion you know, a fall, they have a fall, a spiritual fall. It's because they may have been walking sincerely on the spiritual path, but they still do harbor certain temptations, worldly temptations. They have kept them. Let's keep one or two. It's it's poison. Why it's poison? Not only is there a danger of a fall, not only that, it sabotages the hundred the hundred times joy which you are promised here. Some people said, Why don't I get joy in spiritual life? Because of this. Because of this. Introspect. Introspect. Somebody says, one Swami was scolding students of Vedanta. You say Brahman alone is real and the world is false and false and walk around with a gloomy face. Why? Have you ever asked yourself? I am Brahman, infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. The world is false, it's an appearance in Maya. You should be absolutely happy and relaxed. Why walk around with long faces? It's because of harboring that. I think it was Saint Teresa who said, um, a sad nun is a bad nun. <laughs> you know. So, Spiritual path. So these are the two points I wanted to make. A worldly person, little bit of spirituality, very good. A spiritual person, little bit of worldliness, very bad. (laughs) And the Upanishad doesn't stop here. The rest of the Upanishad I will not chant. But it goes on like this. Higher heavens and higher heavens and higher heavens. Each time the happiness, they are ratcheting it up 100 times and 100 times and 100 times. Higher and higher heavens. And I calculated, they finally go up to uh, Brahma, one of the greatest deity in Hinduism. And the happiness of, of Brahma, you can go up to that, if you are an extraordinarily good person. Uh, so these are different heavens one can enjoy. And 100 times of each time, so you go to 100 times happiness, uh, 1000 times, uh, and so on. Uh, 10,000 times and so on, it goes up. Each time it goes 10 to the power 2. So once I sat down and calculated all the heavens, the highest heaven, how much happiness? How much more is it than the maximum human happiness? And it came to 10 to the power 18. That's 1 followed by 18 zeros. That's the kind of happiness the world and the other world can promise you. And in each stage, the Upanishad says, the person in the spiritual path gets that happiness if he or she does not want it from the external world or from the heavens. You will get that happiness right now. Right now, right here, in this life. The other guy has to wait for death to go there. Posthumous (laughs) happiness. He has been given a promissory note by the cosmic bank. After death, you will get this. You have to cash it in. Who knows? I'm a bit of a skeptic. I'd rather have the spiritual happiness right here. So the wiser person goes, follows the path of spiritual happiness. And then it concludes by something interesting. 10 to the power 18. The highest happiness of Brahma. And one, which is pretty happy, the happiness of that, that, that rich young person, uh, brilliant and good young person today in, in this life. One and 10 to the power 18. This is the range of happiness they are promised in this world and other worlds, many other worlds. And all of that available to the spiritual person. Now it concludes. Sayaschāyam sa ekaha says something very paradoxical. It says, we're coming to theory three now. We are leaving even the path of spirituality behind. It says, the happiness which is there in the, that person in the world, one, and the happiness in the highest heaven, when we speak about seventh heaven, actually there are seven heavens in Hinduism. So high, highest, uh, happiness in the seventh heaven, which is 10 to the power 18. The Upanishad says, it's the same thing. It's one. What a strange thing to say. I immediately wrote down 10 to the power 18 is equal to one. This is crazy. How can one followed by 18 zeros be equal to one? The happiness which is in this person, the happiness which is in that highest deity, the highest God which you find in the seventh heaven, which you can aspire to also. All of that is just one. What is that one? It is you yourself, your true nature beyond the body and mind, the Atman. You see, the idea here is all the happiness that we experience is in the mind, is in our in, in our inner instrument, is in the mind. And we, those of you who attended the talk last time, the Panchakosha, the secret of the five sheets, you would have you remember. There's the physical sheet, the vital sheet, the mental sheet, the intellectual sheet, and the sheet of bliss, the Anandamaya Kosha. It is the bliss of the Atman, your spirit, spiritual nature, which is radiating through the bliss of the sheath of bliss and percolating down to our minds. It is from Ananda Mayakosha that we get a little bit of sprinkling of bliss in our minds. Our minds are like reflectors. Our bodies and minds are like reflectors for Brahman, for the Atman. And the bliss of the Atman is reflected in the mirror, in the reflector. Depending on the reflector, if it's a broken, scratched and uh, little mirror, you'll have a poor reflection. If you have a polished and clean mirror, a better reflection. If you have a titanium mirror, a better, even better reflection. But in all the cases, it's this very phase which is being reflected. All of those reflections are in reality reflections of the one. So all the bliss that we get in this life, from the happy young person on earth to the the happiest person on 10 to the power 18 in the highest 7th heaven, all of them are reflections of the Atman, of the self, which you or I or everybody is at this moment. You are seeing in happiness, you are only seeing your own face in the mirror of your mind let me repeat that. I just coined it now. In any happiness, we are just seeing the reflection of our own self in the mirror of our mind. In unhappiness, that reflection is obscured. In more happiness, the mirror is cleaner. The mirror is better. So each kind of happiness is a reflection of our self in the mirror mirror of our mind. But the self itself is infinite happiness. It is bliss. The commentator Shankaracharya says, Inside you there is an ocean of bliss. Every happiness that we have come across in our lives, or we are likely to come across in this life or the next, is a drop of that ocean of happiness which is there within you right now. It's a speck of foam from that ocean, And he says, all beings, our entire universe moves chasing that speck of happiness which is coming from the ocean within you right now, right here. I keep saying, uh, and sometimes repeat this nice saying, you know, I like it. All that is past in your life and all that remains ahead of you, all that's behind you and all that remains ahead of you is as nothing compared to what is within you right now. Whatever has happened in our life, And whatever yet remains to happen in the future, all of it, Vedanta tells you, is as nothing compared to what what is within you right now. The ocean of happiness, of bliss, Brahman, which is within you. And I can't resist telling this. There's this lady here, right here. She left a note in the convent saying, whatever is behind you and whatever is in front of you, is as nothing compared to what is within you, dot, dot, dot. And what is within the freezer? So we all rushed to the freezer and opened it and she had left a a bar of ice cream there. (laughs) A brick of ice cream there. Anyway. So the infinite ocean of happiness within us. This is what Vedanta calls Brahman. And this is you. When he says that the one happiness here and 10 to the power 18 in the highest heaven is one and the same. It means you are that. This is the third theory of happiness, real bliss, which you are, but here are a couple of things to understand. It may be slightly disappointing, but a couple of things to understand. First of all, compare the happiness, the worldly happiness, spiritual happiness on one side and the happiness of Brahman, the bliss, the third one. Let's compare these two. All the other happiness, whether worldly or spiritual, is temporary. It comes and goes. Even spiritual happiness comes and goes. It's more permanent, it's deeper, it's lasting, but it still comes and goes. Even the, the greatest ecstatic of most ecstatic of saints, their ecstasies came, went and, uh, came and went. It's true. And worldly happiness, of course, comes and goes, we know that. So worldly happiness is non-eternal. The happiness of Brahman, the reality within us, is eternal. Worldly happiness, whether spiritual or or otherwise. It's subject to increase and decrease. We saw that. One, then 100 times, and 10,000 times, and so on and so forth. It can increase and it can decrease. And we see that throughout our lives. Even spiritual happiness. You can have deeper and deeper levels of spiritual happiness. More spiritual happiness or less. But the happiness which is Brahman, neither increases nor decreases. It is infinite. There is no change in that. Third one, which we have to understand carefully, otherwise it's... Can misunderstood, worldly happiness, spiritual happiness, whatever you call it, is an experience. It's something you experience. Brahman, that infinite happiness, is not an experience. It is you yourself, it is you the one who experiences. It's like a mirror in front of your face, your face is here, now all that you see is a reflection of your face. You really cannot see your face directly. You can see a photograph of your face, a reflection of your face, a painting of your face. But you cannot see your face directly. You need it to be reflected to see it. Now, the immediate question will arise. Oh, that means I cannot experience the bliss of Brahman. You can reflect it and you can actually experience it, but not in itself. You need a reflector to experience it. And experiencing the bliss of Brahman is what is called spiritual bliss, the the second one. Even worldly experience is an experience of the bliss of Brahman, but in a very, very distorted way. All happiness that we experience is an experience of Brahman, which is the infinite happiness within us. But isn't that the kind of disappointing then? We go through all this process to get get to something which we can never experience. The fact is, we are experiencing it. It's like saying, so my real face, I can never see it. Well, count your blessings that you can really not see your you can cannot see your real face because then you have to take it out and put it in front of yourself. That sounds very creepy. <laughs> what you can see is a reflection of your face. What bliss we do experience is a reflection of our true selves. But when we are enlightened, we are not even chasing that. We know that we are it. There is nothing that the world can give us. Or even spiritual practices can give us that we are not. Imagine the release that you get then. The Panchadashi says, the enlightened person's joy is immeasurable. Even more than the joy of the saint. Why? Because of three things. Because the enlightened person has, has got what is to be got in life. The whole of life, whatever is life is meant for. Imagine, whatever life is meant for, you've achieved it, you've got it. You've got what is to be got in life. You have done what is to be done in life, second reason. And third, you have known what is to be known in life. Imagine the peace of this person. Won't it be kind of boring, somebody said. No, in that case, your life becomes... Not a striving for yourself, but your life becomes a blessing unto yourself and to others. Whatever you do then is a blessing to the world. You're no longer striving for your own fulfillment anymore. It's not boring. In fact, spiritual life itself is not boring. It's much more engaging and much more happy and much more fulfilling than worldly world, pursuit of worldly happiness. So here we have these three conceptions of bliss. The bliss, that you, the happiness you find in the world by... Chasing that bone, you know, getting the bone to get our own happiness. It may be in this life or in higher heavens. This worldly, other worldly, that's one. The other one is, the wiser person sees that much greater happiness is to be had through a life of spiritual striving and spiritual pursuit. That is, karma yoga, bhakti yoga, raja yoga, jnana yoga. If my life is comprised of Search for spiritual knowledge, love of God, meditation, peace within, and service outside. Swami Ranganathanandaji defined religion. He said, what is spirituality? He said, when I close my eyes, I find peace within. When I open my eyes, my attitude is, what can I do for you? That is spirituality. And usually you will see our attitude is just the opposite. Our reality is just the opposite. So Many people say, Swami, when I close my eyes, so much disturbance in the mind. And then open my eyes. Not what I can do for you. What can I get from you? (laughs) Not literally. That might sound selfish. But we behave in that way. What can I get from this world? Reverse that. That's spirituality. So that's the second track. And the third track is. When we realize who we are. How do we realize who we are? Through the second track. The second track. The spiritual pursuit of meditation and altruistic action and love of God and scriptural study and path of knowledge, this is what takes us to enlightenment. One cannot jump from theory one to theory three, uh, from uh, the worldly pursuit to Brahman directly. One can only go through spiritual pursuit to enlightenment. Once you get to enlightenment, even the spiritual pursuit drops away. Not that the person becomes worldly, it becomes an enlightened person. So here are the three graduated, deeper and deeper understandings of bliss given by this little passage composed by, we do not know who did it, 40 centuries ago. The words used by Sri Ramakrishna are Vishayananda, Bhajanananda, Brahmananda. Vishayananda, the joy derived from worldly pleasure, worldly pursuits. Bhajanananda, the joy derived from spiritual pursuits. Yoga, meditation, love of God, knowledge. And Brahmananda, the joy of Brahman, the ultimate, God, Brahman, Atman, Nirvana, whatever you call it. That's the goal. And that's what we are. Um, all right. I'll bring this to a close with a prayer that we will attain it. Swami Vivekananda says, all of us will come to it. But do it consciously. The process is faster and less painful. <laughs> you you find more joy. It's a wiser way of living. It's a wiser way of living. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Ramakrishna Ruparnamastu. You've been listening to the Voice of Vedanta podcast from the Vedanta Society of Southern California.